0: Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Welcome back, everyone. On today's episode, I have Andy Revkin, legendary climate change reporter from The New York Times, now at ProPublica. We'll be talking about reporting on climate change, the Trump presidency, the scientists' march on Washington, and much more. Please stick around. Hey everybody! This is your host Doug Parsons. I hope you all had a great week. Last week we had Sean Martin on from the World Wildlife Fund. Been hearing a lot of good feedback on that. Thanks again to Sean for joining us. As I'd mentioned, what an incredible episode today! It's a very timely episode, and it was just a big thrill for me to talk to this person um, today. We have Andy Redkin. I'm sure many of you know him as a longtime reporter and um, sort of the host of the Dot Earth blog at the New York Times. Andy has been doing climate change. Coverage since the eighties and we and we talk a lot about that. And he has recently, in the last actually few months, have moved to a new publication. It's called ProPublica. And they're doing a lot more investigative journalism. And that is what Andy is going to be focusing on, although he still does um, kind of daily, timely pieces, and he's done actually quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. But we're going to talk about his move and what that means and what he hopes to cover. I mean, we cover a ton of topics, and I hope you stick around and listen to it. We talk about his early career, and then we spend quite a bit of time talking about what it means to be a journalist covering this new Trump administration. Obviously, it's been a very tumultuous first couple of weeks, and reporters are being really busy, and climate change has come up quite a bit. And I talked to Andy about how he's covering it, how other reporters should cover it. Really is an interesting conversation. We also talk about the upcoming science, scientist march on Washington. And Andy has some, I think, very interesting provocative thoughts on that. And we go into the, the, the value of messaging and things like that. And so. Uh, it's really uh, an interesting conversation for me. I learned a ton. Also, after Andy, I have a short conversation with Tristan Corden. And, uh, folks, remember Tristan was an earlier guest. He was the reporter out of Florida who did the big story about the Florida governor banning climate change. We did a whole episode on that. So I invited Tristan back on. Just to have a conversation about his experience um, dealing with a hostile government, and that means like information sharing. And so he, again, really quickly goes over some advice to listeners on, you know, if you're thinking about, if you are in government or whatever, if you're thinking about, you know, needing to engage with reporters, he gives you some advice, nothing to get you into trouble or anything. But this this is on we. I guess out there wanting to encourage sharing information with the public that the public deserves and is entitled to know. And so Tristam has a lot of experience with that and he gives some pointers on those things and some contact information also some housekeeping here don't forget to visit the website if you're new to to this podcast I have a sister website org. there's information on me there's information on the, all the previous podcast guests I've had 25 on now I, there's quite a library there I hope you go and have a listen take a look around I'm you know, the best way, if you're interested in this topic, is to subscribe to it on iTunes. Just go on your app on your smartphone and search in your app for America Dapps, And please subscribe. And please, if you are a regular listener... I'm going to do this every week. Take the time to go and write a review, please. It helps with the search on iTunes. It kind of makes it show front and center. So please, if you've listened to more than a few episodes and you enjoy them, make that effort. I really appreciate it. And for Android users, I think you can use Google Play or Stitcher, and I think there's similar ways of doing it. I have a Facebook page and a Facebook community group page. In the community group page, I have more of a One on one conversation with people who've joined that group. It's smaller than the Facebook page. If you are interested in joining that community group, people post stories there. I kind of give you updates on what's going with the podcast and I generally answer pretty much anything that you post there. So just look up America adapts on Facebook and it should pop up. Please go subscribe to it and I will approve you. Also a shout out to a few people this past week for sharing information or just for contacting me. You know, Doug Hanner, Rebecca Esselman. Thanks for sharing some great resources. I uh, always hear every week from someone new or two, and it really just uh, makes my day. And Carrie White, thank you for reaching out with some good ideas. Um, also, this is very important. I am pretty much doing this podcast full time now. It's a new thing for me. I'm, uh, I've am i really been enjoying it. It's, it's been turned into a lot of... Uh, more than I thought it ever would and the, the guests that are coming on are blowing my mind we're having some I think really deep substantive conversations and the feedback that I'm hearing it is providing a real resource for you and so Right now, you know how podcasts work. You know, you count on supporters to support you. I'm looking at doing a Patreon page relatively soon. But if you could go onto the website and, you know, for the price of a cup of coffee a month or something like that, anything would be appreciated. Getting more listeners each week. But please consider doing this. You know, uh, I like to think even with this pivot to what's happening right now, that this is really useful information. So it's on the website, americadaps.org. And also just for next week's guest, I have sort of a secret guest. I don't really want to reveal it right now, but I think it's very relevant and timely to what's going on. And then after that, the week after, I have Dr. Karen Poulter. And some of you are probably saying, weren't you supposed to have Karen on this week? I had to reshuffle a few things. Mainly, I wanted to be more timely with kind of what's going on in the news. And you know, podcasts generally aren't that timely, but I, I felt like it was important to kind of shuffle things around. Karen's podcast was amazing, really incredible, useful information on sea level rise, but I'm putting that off by a couple of weeks. And so stay tuned, subscribe, and you'll be able to stick around and hear these things. So, all right, this is the part where everyone's just like, shut up. Just let's get to Andy. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. All right, thanks for joining in. Bye. Welcome back, everybody. This is America DAPS, the climate change podcast. I'm your host, Doug Parsons. I have a really special guest on today. It is Andy Revkins, science writer at ProPublica. And so Andy, um, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here.
0: So I was going to talk a little bit about your bio, but then I got really intimidated by that and it was just going to be <laughs> too hard because there are Revkin eras in climate change journalism. So I thought I was going to put it on you if you had to just kind of briefly describe who is Andy <laughs> Revkin.
1: Well, I started writing about climate, the human relationship to climate in 1984, resulting in a piece in early 1985. that was on the cover of a magazine that doesn't exist anymore, Science Digest. But that was a place where some really great science writers cut their teeth, I'm not including me, uh, uh, other people, um, Jeff Kluger, um, Tom Yulsman, Paul Hoffman, and more, Michael Leminek, uh, at any rate. The, that piece, it was on nuclear winter. It was on, the, it was the Cold War and there was this idea that if we burned enough cities, it would cool the planet and, and wreck life as we know it. Then it kind of became nuclear autumn, which didn't have as good a headline to it, you know, right, right. <laughs> but more science. And that was interesting. More science was done and it got more subtle. You know, it's not like sometimes people think more science makes everything simpler, but not always. Um, but part of that reporting was about climate models. And in fact, that piece mentions global warming. Because, uh, I went to the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Colorado that year to do the reporting for that piece. And the models were already being run to, to study global warming, which had been, as everyone on the spot listening, I'm sure knows, you know, this is a hundred year old, uh, idea, more than a hundred years old, uh, that's built, the science is built around the basics, um, for, for generations and had actually made it to Lyndon Baines Johnson's desk in, uh, 1965. And it was so it was so the global warming story was there, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's interesting." And then 1988 was this—the first really big news story about global warming. Yellowstone was on fire. Uh, there was hot, hot, hot summer in the United States and Europe. Drought, and uh, Jim Hansen testified, and and we were off and running. And then I kind of never got off the bus. Basically, I've reported on it in every medium I can think of. Podcast, my first podcast on climate change, I I didn't even, I've forgotten about it, but it was in 2005 from the Montreal climate talks. I did a podcast. People can find it online if you Google for Revkin podcast, Montreal 2005 NY times. (laughs) So it's like, and, and, and then, you know, and I've done every kind of aspect of it, the, the the policy, the science, you know, North Pole, the Amazon, the Vatican, the White House. And here I am at ProPublica returning to full-time journalism. I, I kind of taking a break doing the blog earth at the times uh on a freelance basis which was not just about climate it was about um, sustainability more generally teaching through those six years at pace university and then this they floated this job uh announced a job at ProPublica, which is it's kind of like the special operations part of an army without the army you know it's everyone in this newsroom of 65 or so people which is expanding now is super talented. You know, I'm like completely humbled by the people around me, and it's uh, it's deep digging kind of journalism that's uh, in an endangered species in many other places. So that's kind of me.
0: You, I mean, I'm not even that young, and I've grown up with you. Um, I've been reading climate change for a long time, and you've been so associated with the New York Times with climate change. And so I'm just curious for you. You've made this move to ProPublica, and you know, it's only been a couple months. And so how 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 does it feel to kind of make Your, I, I mean, you would agree, your sort of identity was wrapped up in the New York Times. It just there was Annie Revkin at the New York Times, and then there was Dot Earth, and so it must be a bit different for you.
1: Oh yeah, it's very different, and and it's um, it's a place that if you don't, if you're not using search uh, to look at a first story, you probably didn't know about it, or didn't follow me on social media, you would probably never see what I'm writing right now. It's it's different uh, than the Times. Even my blog at the Times Dot Earth was. Not particularly visible, but it was, you know, it is the Times. It's the New York effing Times. You know, people call you back and, and all that stuff. So that, that's, it's different, but ProPublica is interesting. You know, I just started. So I had this, we, I've just been doing five or six short pieces, not the kind of thing I'll be doing in the long haul, but for the longer, bigger efforts there, increasingly they are partnering with, um, they partner with Frontline, the TV program, they partnered with uh, NPR, they partnered with, um, national geographic right now there's a really good package coming with other magazines um, so it's those partnerships that are kind of neat and and everyone should know one thing i didn't know was uh, if you go to the Pro, propublica.org website you'll see there's this thing it says steal our stories they encourage uh, reposting and republication of these pieces so it's the material can move everywhere and some of my pieces in recent weeks have already been in scientific american for example so that's that's cool too
0: well, I'd be perfectly honest, I wasn't familiar with it at all until you made your move there. And I've obviously been doing my homework and digging around. And, you know, what sort of stands out right now is I, I wonder that growth that you're talking about. I wonder if President Trump is represents a new growth opportunity for a lot of journalism outfits. But their front and center is, you know, if you have information or what's it even called? Sort of like if if you're you want an anonymous poster or something, this contact this email. I mean, so you you're you're.
1: Yeah, there's a secure data drop. Area there's a a secure we all we all have Signal which is this interesting app for your phone so it's a completely decryption it's completely encrypted in a way that if the other person on the other end of the line is using it no one can uh, get that information already it's been useful because a number of people at government agencies who uh, are fearful to talk um, on the record and and they're also concerned that they could be identified um, you know through an email string or something. So they they're using this as well signal.
0: So I just assume in the past week, last seven days, there's been a huge pulse in the use of that resource. I would imagine
1: so. Yeah. Uh, You know, and right now it's uncertain. Now, I did this piece a couple of days ago where I did note that uh, Obama, the Obama administration was pretty uh, infamous among journalists for uh, uh, secrecy, especially at the EPA in the other way. You know, they, they completely controlled access to EPA staff and scientists and in 2013 the society of environmental journalists um put out a report deeply critical of uh they're saying at that time at least it was like this new new pinnacle of of privacy of secrecy in government that they were uh, the SEJ was decrying so you know these these issues can percolate uh, from different vantage points liberal conservative whatever um, but right now, clearly there's a lot of concern about, well, uh, just a piece I did the earlier, uh, a few days ago, um, you know, someone at the EPA said, um, that people around her are coming to work in tears uh, routinely every morning cause they're sort wow. of, they're, they're caught between, um, you know, their, their desire for job security, you know, their families, whatever, and, and their passion for the issues they work on. So it's like those stresses, you know, we'll see what happens in the weeks ahead, uh, at epa there's science of course this was even during the campaign that there'll be a big crunch in the budget and a lot of um initiatives will go away and that means uh, people will either be reassigned or eventually lose their jobs so there' that's pretty much a given
0: well i was just at this Nas- national council of science and the environment conference and newt gingrich spoke there but i was able to talk to an epa person and i think most of the staffers they just don't have any clue of what's going on i you know she this woman was pretty honest. She's like, yeah, we haven't seen anything. There wasn't been any emails and are just, they're just kind of, they get their information from news media. So they're still figuring it out.
1: Yeah. And, and frankly, we in the media, myself included, you know, so far, most of what we've written is, uh, there's a certain element of speculation in it. It's really hard to know. Transitions in government are always turbulent and, and administrations always say stop. Putting out information until we start to vet it, because once you're president, there is a there is latitude as long as it's not uh, lying um, to uh, change the flow of information that governments uh, put out. I I wrote I did a lot of um, investigative reporting in the early um, early and mid Bush administration, sort of the first term and this part of the second term, and before he uh, President Bush George W. Um, fully embraced climate change there was a lot of stuff going on that was uh, you know changing the flow cutting down re- reword wording government science reports but it was kind of like weirdly you know it was within the range of the uncertainty and the science like you, it is so so amazing how what you can do with changing stress or adding words and, and stay within the sort of the boundaries of what's legitimate but completely change meaning that kind of stuff happened a lot Jack Marburger, who was the science advisor for Bush, who was a Democrat before he took office, I took that position. Um, I interviewed him in 2003. Piece: uh, Bush versus the lawyer, Bush versus the laureates. People can find it that way. And he said, "Look, you know, this administration has a different view of things. They they like a smaller government role, and and they have latitude. They 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 have discretion to um, change what government says." Right now, I'm talking to people, uh, lawyers who are eagerly looking to see what laws could be uh, applied that might uh, that the, a, a heavy duty, heavy handed Trump um, shift of Web content and stuff might violate the, the Information Quality Act is one. Uh, so we'll see what happens going forward. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, science is the language around science can be is pretty malleable in a way that can suit you. Like I'll just give you an example. I, and I. You know, when I talk to environmental economists, they always say it's the uncertainty in climate science that's the reason to act. You know, and they point to long, deep uh, volumes of public published work that demonstrate that. So, science uncertainty is the reason to act. Not uh, and then, but then you hear Scott Pruitt on the stand of the hearings, and he says, "Oh yeah, yeah, climate change is real, but uh, you know, we're still learning, and uncertainty is the reason to study more." And you, you know, it's it's a you could say. It, you know, what what is that? It's different. It's, it's, it's spin and and it shows you that science is, uh, sort of like putty in a way, unfortunately, in the policy arena.
0: You've covered climate change for so long and it's sort of an understatement that sometimes you're attacked from both sides of the, on the issue. And you've shared some amazing material for, with me. I read that essay of yours and I'm going to have these on my show notes. I don't necessarily want to dig too much into that, but for people that want to dig further, It was really helpful, but I'm just curious that this first week, it's like, okay, a a lot of really big things happen, but I think you've had an ability to kind of step back and say, let's take a deep breath. It's not as bad as we think, or I don't know if I'm not, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I I think you know where I'm going with this. And I'm just curious if just even your exposure to what's going on so far, what would your advice be or what would your observations be so far?
1: Well, Usually uh, what I've said is take a deep breath and look at the bigger picture, Mm -hmm. which is different than it's not so bad. (laughs) In fact, the, the first piece I did for the first long piece I just did for ProPublica a few weeks ago, shortly after the election, was basically made the observation, which is grounded in data, that the global warming problem is actually too big for trump to do much about it's like he can't make it worse and just as obama couldn't really make it better uh, the reduction in american emissions under obama was largely uh, uh, the result of um, uh, uh, trends in energy and the economy that were already well underway that weren't his doing and um, so he kind of lucked out you know in that sense uh, and but there's a lot of evidence that trump um you know whether you look at uh, we're not going to suddenly Trump can't order West Virginia miners to go back into the mines. You know, he can make campaign pledges about bringing back jobs, but it's not going to happen because natural gas is a, is abundant. It's pretty clear it's robustly abundant. Uh, I did a piece last year when the Department of Energy and its uh, regular energy information administration reports, uh, there was a tiny little reference that said unconventional gas, meaning fracking, you know, frack gas is no longer unconventional, basically. It's now the convention. It's the dominant form of gas coming into our uh, stoves and, and heating systems and factories and power plants. So that the, the end of coal in America is pretty much a done deal and Trump can't force that to, to change. So, and then most of the growth in emissions is going to be overseas. Uh, and, and there are some things he could do to undermine the Paris agreement, but, uh, most of the Paris parties have already stated they don't plan to do, sort of shift gears based on him and as i wrote in that piece climate change 20 years ago was still kind of this disposable side issue but now um for all these big countries you'll see in may there's this the group of eight and the group of 20 you know these it's like davos whatever these big fancy meetings of big powerful countries climate change is now on a par with trade and the other keystone issues security so it's not like so trump can't just go in there and be a bully he's got to play or or not Well, you know we'll see what happens but it's not like he can just sort of set it to the side and say um that one we're not going to work on
0: well you know climate change especially the science is still pretty controversial issue for some but i was getting the impression and after eight years of president obama that the worst was sort of behind us and you know i had michael mann on the podcast and i sort of brought that up t- with him too because he went through his own battles associated with being attacked but I mean, I'm curious what your opinion is. I mean, did you do you did you feel like there was a sense that, OK, the worst of having to convince people that climate science is legit was behind us? Or could we just be the start of like the beginning of that?
1: Well, it's um unfortunately, it's harder than that. Uh, a lot of my good friends in the media and in uh, sort of academia where I was at Pace University and and in positions of activism still have this feeling that if. People in the country get the basic science, meaning global warming is happening and we're contributing to it through the buildup of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, that that's job done. You know, I, I, that's how oversimplif- we simplifying things. I, I doubt anyone really thinks that that's job done, but that's just where things begin. It's, it's the issues are how serious a risk is it to um, our future? And then the question is, who is the we? Who is the our? Is it just the United States or is it the everybody on the planet? And unfortunately, people tend not to think of still globally. We don't, when we think about we, most of us think about our community, our family, or maybe our town, maybe our state, maybe our country, but almost never the, the planet. And, um, what do you do about it? It's like, well, you got some people who are very well meaning who think that, um, Rapid deployment of nuclear is really the only way forward. Uh, Jim Hansen, one of the you know <laughs> Keystone climate scientists of our time, who's chained himself to fences with Bill McKibben at the White House, um, Jim is com- he's written pretty disparagingly about re- renewable energy as being ramp ramp upable quick enough, and he says it's got to be nuclear. He has his vision of a carbon price, and and then there are people who called him as this happened last year. The, he he was actually labeled a denialist by another well-meaning scientist in the guardian column for think for mentioning nuclear and so that's like so this just tells me that there's a long path forward uh that w- in which the climate science can actually in some and oh here's what makes it even more interesting it can actually be a distraction like one of the most interesting pieces of journalism i've seen probably maybe the best in the last year and a half was um, by John Sutter, who's a young uh, video journalist at CNN. He did this two degrees series going around the world uh, ahead of Paris. Mm-hmm. He went he went to this town in Oklahoma uh, to a county, Woodward County, Oklahoma, which is the uh, Yale survey identified as the most skeptical county in America mm-hmm. on global warming. Okay, And it's a three minute video that is so worth anyone watching where the first minute and a half you see old people young people they're talking about climate and like this uh this uh, lady who looks kind of she could be um a librarian you know she goes uh well out here you know al gore's name is a uh, is cuss word and and then uh, this guy who's uh, owns an uh, an oil company such a small oil company he says uh yeah oh we feel God controls the environment. So, you know, you're watching this. Uh, I watch this as a liberal Easterner and I go, Oh my God, we're, we're doomed. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. right. Um, but then a minute and a half in the, you have, you, they start talking about energy and, and it turns out that the oil guy, this who, you know, the God controls the climate guy. He says, yeah, you know, half of our roof is covered in solar panels and we want to do the whole thing because we want to get off the grid entirely. So here's like, and by the way, of course, his, his reasoning Comes from his roots and his culture and he want, he's a libertarian, hardcore libertarian. He, he, I guarantee you, he did not vote for Hillary <laughs> and, but I guarantee you, he doesn't like big companies controlling his life. So he doesn't like utilities. He doesn't like, you know, top down government and, and, but if you went into that town and you said, Hey, everybody, you've got to accept global warming science before I'll take you seriously. Then you're missing this huge opportunity over clean energy uh, that is lying right there that would just be. Uh, destroyed by going in there r- r- revved up for a debate or, oh yeah, let's do a documentary on sea ice in the Arctic or y- that one of those things that somehow magically sort of tipped the balance toward some common view of cl- global warming. That expectation went away when I started looking at this, this science, which is, I feel is uh, easily as important to understand if you want to stay sane in this arena.
0: I've been having some conversations with Randy uh, about this. You know, we're, we're sort of this in a post factual universe and you talked about you know even debating the issue of climate science and to me it's almost a battle you're never going to win i mean and you look at sort of what donald trump has done you know the whole idea of crowd size here it is we have photographic evidence and there's people that are going to go along with him and believe him and so you as a journalist in that sort of search for the truth how do you adjust to this i mean it uh, is it the do you have to adjust i mean is well
1: t- you it, it just reinforces to me the importance of understanding the science of well, there's a guy at um Yale, another another group there, Dan Kahane, who yeah yeah um, you know he he studies what he calls cultural cognition, which is a most of the time when you think you're thinking, you're actually feeling, and most of your feelings are a result of your culture, your tribal identity, not your uh, your level of literacy or anything else. And so, so then knowing that, and, and also knowing how social media work, you know, getting familiar with the that these tools can work against. You know, common sense approach to life is, it's like taking a really cold shower and then whipping yourself with some rough branches, but it's, it's necessary. It's like, and then you can start to say, well, okay, what do we do? How do we work with this? Whether you're an activist or a journalist or, you know, whatever your role in this arena or a scientist, I think, you know, a lot of scientists, uh, haven't learned those lessons I feel I learned about that just, just battering people with science or calling them a denier is the way forward. And I, I think you know, get at least finding I think everyone, I, you know, I'm not a fan of top down control, but but it would be great if everyone would watch uh, John Sutter's Woodward, Oklahoma, uh, three minute video and wow. then and then say, OK, how can I work with that?
0: Well, so what do you think? What What's what's your opinion now? You know, of course, on paper, I'm supportive, but there's this new march for scientists that's going to occur in D.C. I think it's in April or May. Do you, I mean, do you think the messaging that's going to come out of that is going to be helpful?
1: No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't I, sugarcoat it. Uh, and, uh, well, you know, I'm just going by what I've learned. Um, I, I'm not saying don't go and I'm not, you know, my wife went to the, 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 the women's march. Um, um, but logistically, um, it's hard to see, it's hard to understand how that could help. And, and here getting at this you know i've been digging in a little bit on the attitudes among this remember one thing that's important by the way is to keep to keep track of is that that this was a razor thin margin in this election that the, there was brilliance in the campaign that trump waged in the closing weeks related to you know where there were these close margins where to where to do what there's a great piece that someone wrote i can't remember where it was a big magazine piece on how this played out and so it's not like there's some giant uh, constituency out there that you have to defeat by having a march. But there is a part of America that resents the idea. And this came out, if if, if anyone watched the Pruitt hearings, the EPA uh, uh, confirmation hearings, there's this idea, of, you know, Waters of the United States, which is this expanded EPA authority over um standing bodies of water near a big waterway mm-hmm. you know, so like near near a, a, a lake a ship can go on like the great lakes if you had a f- farm field with a gravel path that gets a puddle in it sometimes that that's part of the waters of the united states and that feels to a lot of people like an invasion uh, you know it's this uh, you know these it's sort of the invasion of the wonks that <laughs> how how does that puddle affect um register under the clean water act um which is supposed to be for navigable waters and so they they're you know marches are great but it's i guess you got to say well you know what's the end result here what's the goal i have is it to build my small constituency to be a little larger or is it to tip american understanding in a different way i mean you think about this like uh, what's the statistic? It's like four out of five Americans don't know a scientist.
0: Hmm. Wow.
1: I mean, so rather than going to a march in Washington, uh, it might be interesting to go to, to like your local town meeting and, or, and many people do. I'm not saying that people who aren't going to the march in Washington are, are you know, don't also do that or, or hold a little session at your local library or, you know, go to the local church and, um, say, Hey, I'd like to, you know, do a talk and, Go to a farm. Go to a place where, you know, become part of a community that way, and, and in a listening way as well. You know, one thing I've learned, also over a lot of long time, is kind of um, the value of listening and making sure you understand. And those things uh, don't come through mass action. Now, mass, as I said, mass action has value and importance, um, but strategic a strategic way of exploring what to do and how is useful i think
0: well i live here in dc and i, I took my eight-year-old son to the, the the woman's march last weekend and you know the idea of a broader message i think sort of is a wash and i think that might be the same thing with the the, the scientist march but what i got out of it is sort of like okay you know look at all these like-minded people and they just needed kind of a, a reboot they can do something there was probably a lot totally of I, and out me. there
1: you know i've done this uh podcast now with um eric holthausen and uh, the meteorologist has become a very prominent um, popular climate blog writer and with jacqueline gill a great young paleoecologist at the university of maine focused on paleoclimate and climate change and we did a session we did a a, in december well shortly after the election we did a this one episode of the podcast which is called our warm regards that focused on the need for you know a group hug you know this is uh This is a tough time. It's a tough time. So validating one's identities is is important. I mean, you know, when I said it's not useful to do the march, I'm not saying don't do it. I don't want people to think I'm a chiding kind of person here. We need need variety. We need diversity of approaches, activism, pragmatism, meta-analysis. We need all that stuff is necessary. But utility is something I have to consider in terms of like what I'm going to write about or think about it myself too, you know, in terms of, uh, um, the work I'm going to be doing at ProPublica going forward.
0: So while I still have you on, you know, you, you just transitioned to it. So you are a podcaster too, and you'd mentioned your podcast with, uh, to two co-hosts and Eric Althaus and it was, I'm sorry, Catherine oh, Gill. Jacqueline Gill. Jacqueline yeah. Gill, and it's called Warm Regards. And I haven't listened to every episode, but I listened to it. And I did listen to the one post-election. And again, that was my point of sort of like, you know, your co-hosts were, I mean, obviously we're very concerned for real reasons, but then you came on and it was, I felt like it was a much different tone. So it was interesting sort of seeing the different, three different voices associated with like the sort of post-election analysis. So.
1: Well, and I think that reinforces this idea of like dialogue, you know, listening, thinking, communicating uh we have very different views on something so and but, but but if we don't talk to each other that's not gonna really move the world forward uh, there's so many like-minded people on this arena who don't talk to each other and who spend seem sometimes it seems like spend too much time sniping at other like-minded people meaning people who want a sustainable human relationship with the climate as opposed to doing work and you know finding out where there really are actionable buttons to, to poke at and that kind of thing.
0: I also would like your advice too. So uh, I don't know how much you know about this podcast at all. So it's America adapts. And so my emphasis really has been about adapting to climate change and not Ah, the climate science. So, and just curious of like the sort of writing that you've done and what's really been encouraging to me is like, you know, the random listeners that you pick up, these are not scientists. They're not planners. I mean, I've had a bus driver, like listen to the show. And to me, I I naively think that the whole adaptation side of climate change is such a more proactive kind of narrative and it it must be so much tougher on the mitigation side because it's like change your light bulb or these big tough decisions about what you can't do. And I'm just curious your thoughts about it because I feel like there's an opportunity on the adaptation side. Eventually mitigation comes under adaptation, but I've been lucky to sort of talk about these feel good stories of people adapting to climate change, that they're doing things now, being proactive
1: adaptation which is really important so well one of the other realizations i think that's vital and really confronting the climate problem for what it is is that there are huge opportunities right now to reduce greatly reduce vulnerability to the hazards the climate system has within it and i see what i just said to you is very different than saying we need to uh, fight global warming because In many cases, you you could end up in a waste of time kind of argument about, well, is this global warming making this thing happen? You know, wildfires, let's say, or coastal flooding or that's but that's completely like it's almost so irrelevant because the vulnerability has been built mainly by other things we're doing. Uh, I'll give you an example. And one thing I do want to write about a lot in in ProPublica going forward is this question of where can we where are there clear opportunities to reduce vulnerability to to, uh, flooding, to um, drought and heat to fire that are going begging because we don't want to deal with the, the actual drivers of those problems. Like in, in, in California and uh, other parts of the West, the building boom that's happened in, in forest areas that are absolutely going to burn, you know, that they are completely combustible and there's no very little uh, disincentive to build there. Um, and And Climate change is and is not a factor, depending on which forests you're talking about and, and what the situation is. So why, you, you know, and, and here's what happens. Though. Like Jerry Brown, Cal, Governor of California, uh, I would encourage listeners to look back or sift through his past speeches on global warming in the relation uh, on wildfires. And um, there are plenty of them. Uh, and but they all focus on global warming. They none of them has said, hey, you know, we need to change how we build <laughs> in in fire zones. And that's that's this, uh, resilient because that's, politicians don't like to talk about limiting growth or saying what you can do at home. I mean, there's, and I wrote about this in Dot Earth just before I left there. There are uh, communities and wealthy, rich communities in Southern California that were destroyed by wildfire, where um, imported palm trees planted on their property, uh, which are unbelievably combustible. It, anyone could just go on YouTube and search for flaming palm tree (laughs) and you'll see they're like bombs they're like incendiary devices Mm -hmm. they and and uh so people then their their houses were lost they got their insurance payoff they rebuilt and they replanted the same palm trees but no one talks about that you know and this is a you know that's these are the things you can do right now to reduce vulnerability to fire in in these zones um same thing with flooding um and once in a while we do like the right thing like the there was this uh this bill that was passed inside and became law the bigger Waters bill, bipartisan, that raised the that basically said, you know, federal f- flood insurance has been too cheap, so we're going to raise those rates. The program's going broke, and and that was a gr- unbelievable achievement. Like, how did that happen? Uh, because it's sensible if you're a libertarian, because you you know, libertarians hate governments paying people for stupid behavior, and it's terrible if for the, anyone who's concerned about rising sea levels, because you know, it's just going to get worse, right? So. But then what happened was, it didn't matter whether they were Democrat or Republican, people suddenly saw their rates rising and they called their Congress people and it got rolled back. So, oh my God. So this is the, this is, but it's great that you're focusing on this particularly because it's another area where you can get overlap. Like just the fact that there was a bill passed that had, you know, conservative and environmental support uh, on flood insurance says it's possible to have action. On this arena, it's kind of like what I was saying earlier about the guy with the solar panels in Oklahoma. You know, on sort of smart energy choices and on resilient communities, you can build a conversation with people who will fight you to the death over global warming because it got so politicized. So hallelujah. Thank you for doing what you do.
0: Well, you know, thank you. Appreciate that. And the federal agencies, if there's a big shift on climate change, they're, when it comes to adaptation, they're just going to shift their, their language. It's going to be, You know, disaster management or risk assessment and, you know, that's already happening to a certain extent, but, uh, they'll, they'll still do adaptation, but they'll just have to bury climate change as a term related to it.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, again, going forward, there are possibilities. Like I don't imagine that the Trump administration is going to roll back the um, subsidies for solar and wind that, um, because there, there are many Republicans who are very happy about that and they're Rick Perry. I wrote this piece at ProPublica recently where Hal Harvey, who's like one of the most brilliant and uh, passionate uh, climate experts and, and, um, wouldn't call him a campaigner, but yeah, he's pushing for action on climate change. And he said, you know, Rick Perry is probably the the best thing that's ever happened to, for wind. And he, uh, he extolled him in this piece uh, because of the, when he was governor in Texas, there were lots of, um, progressive moves that facilitated building a grid that could incorporate a lot of wind so you know and trump wants infrastructure well the grid is infrastructure so but stay tuned you know what do we know it's it's really still too early to know what's going to come of this just want to wrap
0: this up with if you could give me like Two additional sort of things that you could mention. I, I ask all my guests if they could make a recommendation of a, a future potential guest. That would be greatly appreciated. And then just, I think you're a positive guide. If you're just leaving a positive message to listeners, and I don't know if in the context of like, what are the th- kind of things that we're reporting on, but people just are looking for some what's ahead here. And I think people like you are just incredibly important to help provide that
1: information to kind of figure out what's going on. Well, you should get on John Sutter like the uh, the CNN guy okay. I think okay. he's really he really nailed something um you should talk to um oh, well there's so many usual suspects but oh gosh I would say Dan Kane he's Dan is an interesting guy he he he's hypervelocity he might be hard to sort of rein in but he would be fun for you to talk to the guy at Yale who studies cultural cognition I've um, him
0: once yeah he is he is a character
1: or take a road trip go to go to Woodward county yourself that would be cool i would i haven't been there yet you know i want to see what's what's behind some of those uh, sound bites um although john sutter the guy at cnn he did write a long thorough post about it as well with much more information about the people he talked to so i I would suggest him first and then uh in terms of optimism you you know and i wrote a long essay about reflecting on 30 years of climate learning and journalism and and one of the points i come to understand about this issue is um there's aspects of it that are just going to play out. I mean, one reason to focus on adaptation, by the way, is that, as you know, um, the climate system is so huge and has so much momentum. Uh, I recently did a there's a YouTube video. I interviewed a couple of guys at MIT about this. Um, that it would take decades. It will take decades to have any kind of even remotely measurable change in climate trajectories that you could attribute to even a dramatic reduction in greenhouse gases, like so that means we're in for impacts uh, of today's vulnerability, the vulnerability built by us building in bad places and or poor people who have no choice but to be in dangerous places in like sub-Saharan Africa. That has to be dealt with now. That's the now issue. And, and there, as I said, there's tons of exciting opportunities to do that. Uh, the, but in the grandest scale, the thing I've learned about the climate problem is it's so big and so multifaceted that. Everybody can play a role that, that I mean, the, the, the depressing thing is it's huge. But the but the engaging part of it is, is that if you're a teacher or an artist or a lawyer or a journalist, a podcaster or a, a clearly a scientist or an innovator, a business owner, there's a there's a role for you to play. That's part of this grand century scale effort to build a sustainable relationship with both energy and and with the climate system.
0: Oh, I love that message. I think that'd be a subtitle. Everybody can play a role. Great, great final message. So Andy, you, (laughs) depending on how much you enjoyed this, you have an open invitation to come on the show anytime. Just from a previous life, I was a fed working on climate change issues. And so I have a lot of federal government listeners and I. Partly what I want you on is that you're explaining that you're out there and if they have scoops or things that they want to share that hopefully that that they would contact you. So but maybe three months, maybe six months, if you're interested, love to have you on again. So hope that's an opportunity.
1: Sure. Great to great to hear from you. Keep you doing what you're doing.
0: All right. Well thanks. And uh I will have a whole bunch of information on the show notes regarding what you do, warm regards and all that. But all right, everybody, thanks for listening in. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Hey everybody. Welcome back. This is America Daps. I'm your host, Doug Parsons. Back on the show today, Tristam Corton, a previous guest on the podcast. Hey, Tristam, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Yes, I invited you back for very specific reasons. It's We've had a week now with President Trump. So what are your thoughts, I guess? What's been this first week from a reporter's point of view?
2: I mean, from a reporter's point of view, it's sort of uncharted territory. It looks, it's, looks kind of fun out there, to be honest. I mean, things are just sort of crazy. Uh, yeah. And, and, and especially regarding, you know, potential impacts to climate change policy and environmental policy. And Tristan, when I contacted Tristan and and for listeners, it's just,
0: I thought it'd be useful. You know, there's certainly a lot of, you know, people in the public listen to this podcast, but we, you know, have government employees and a lot of them are in the federal government and they're not quite sure what's happening now. And I've talked to these people in the last week and I thought, get Tristan on. And if people recall, he broke that huge story out of Florida, Florida bans climate change. And it's probably just a major test run with what we're about to go. And so I just wanted to kind of get Tristram's advice on, you know, if there are public servants out there, how they feel like they need to respond or what are some resources or just, uh, you know, your observations, Tristram, on, on kind of the way forward. And so I'm just going to throw some questions at you. And if you just have some insight on things, I think any of it's going to be useful because like you said, some of this is uncharted territory. And I do think your experiences in Florida is just like this, you
2: know, on steroids. Well, Yes and no. It definitely is a larger version of what we had going on here. There are some key differences between the work I did in Florida and what's happening now. The main one is that what I uncovered when I was with the Florida Center for Investigative Reporting in Florida was a sort of secret government policy banning the terms climate change and global warming uh, from being used in any official state correspondence. That's emails, emails, uh, uh, reports, papers, et cetera. Uh, they were trying to keep it hidden. There was nothing outlining this policy and they denied it when it was, uh, when they were confronted with it. They being the governor and his, um, affiliates. Today what's happening is that they're not denying it. They're just doing it out in the open. <laughs> they're deleting Twitter accounts and removing mention of climate change, et cetera. So they're not, they're not worried about being discovered. And that's, uh, that changes the game uh, considerably. Well, isn't there a little nuance to it, though, that so they are being
0: pretty blatant about removing these things. But, you know, when you get into those situations where they're actually asking the spokespeople or whatever, they are still saying things like, no, we're not doing that or there's there's nothing to it or, you know, we're reassessing things. And so there's still an element of that. They're not just coming out and saying we're getting rid of all climate change stuff because we think it's bunk. You know, there's there's that facade of like, oh, well, don't look too much
2: into our actions. Right, right. So my recommendation, you know, I'm, I, I have not I'm not a primarily a government reporter, nor have I worked in D.C., but my recommendation is uh, we're in this, you know, we being journalists are in this for the long haul, ostensibly the next four years, unless lightning strikes, which in a increasingly destabilized environment might happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. um, I, I meant that metaphorically and literally that not to overreact. Not to, I see a lot of, uh, Sturman drawing up in DC, coming out of DC. And I, I just would, if you're a, a reporter, especially one who's concerned about the environment and covering it, to just buckle down and ask questions about the details, stick to the specifics. You know, what of them are, yeah, get, you know, get a, get a, a position on climate change. Are they disputing the climate change science? And if so, what evidence are they relying on to dispute that science? So what's the counter evidence that they're using? And what do they want these federal agencies to accomplish if they're going to uh, divert funding and energy, you know, figurative energy away from uh, studying climate change? What, what do they see as those resources sh- would be better spent on? Uh, you know, if you just, if you just focus on the detailed questions and not, not allowing yourself to get sucked into the outrage or the uh, turmoil, eventually a clearer picture will emerge for the public who is your ultimate uh, you know audience and who you ultimately answer to
0: well i think maybe uh, another difference here too is that you know when you were on the podcast you talked about how hard it was to get existing employees to kind of speak on the record and yet it it seems leaks are just coming from everywhere from the federal government now and so that it's probably very helpful to reporters that you're getting all sorts of willing sources out there
2: yes that that's a huge help uh it, it was interesting one I, one of the responses to the, the last podcast I did with you on that was a uh, a government employee saying that's all all in good to say you know because i was I was bemoaning the fact that no state employees had had the courage to come out I had to sort of ferret this stuff out and this person said look it's all all in good to say you know you should stand up for your principles but we have jobs uh we we want to continue doing this work and if we get into conflict conflict with our managers then we might not have a job to do this work etc so i am sensitive to that the great thing today is that you can uh anonymously uh contact reporters and even better just give them the data if you're going to be so the the danger for reporters using anonymous sources is that you don't know what their agenda is, and it just doesn't look like you're being transparent if you use them. So mainstream papers often try their best not to use anonymous sources. But data is data. If there's a report and you leak it to a, a reporter and then the official version is different, say mentions of climate change have been deleted from the official version, but they're in this draft report, that's you know valuable information that we can use to, to help assess what's going on. So I would I would encourage you to yes reach out with you know in 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 res- in a responsible way reach out anonymously to there are plenty of anonymous drop boxes that uh, media institutions have where you can put information in and and you're protected uh do this don't do this from a uh work computer right, right. <laughs> or work uh, uh site and um yeah I mean it's if uh, work t- we want to have an informed public and if the government's trying to cover information or misinform us then you're doing a valuable and moral thing
0: well and and on that note sort of the providing that anonymous information. I've, I've been noticing like ProPublica and Washington Post have been seeing on social media of like here are secure ways of leaking information. They have these new online resources of, I guess, <laughs> you know, hopefully not uh, hack-proof ways of kind of sharing that. And so I, I'll certainly share those links out there. I think the, the newspapers are not waiting around. And like you said, they, there's a standard that, you know, the bigger newspapers want to follow, but like we're in an uncharted territory now. And so they're going to want to get that information
2: yeah i mean it is uncharted territory it's it's uh so the i i mean i really want to know i'm always interested in what's informing your opposition to the science that tells us that the, the the climate's been changing and it's changing as a result of our of human activity and and i don't see a vibrant for all the opposition which is strong and entrenched in washington i don't see a lot of debate on it i don't hear the other side saying well this is why you're wrong there's there's lots of stuff out there claiming that this information is wrong but i don't see these policymakers talking about it i i would press all these reporters and everybody to to just you know objectively keep asking those questions you don't have to be confrontational but but you just don't take no for an answer and keep pushing we never got the governor's response to this this controversy here in florida and it still bugs me you know, he was asked several times, he said, it's not true, and that was it. And then they hoped the whole thing would go away. It didn't go away, um, and nor will this. Uh, and especially if we keep asking, well, okay, so, uh, you removed, you removed reference, you removed the web, the climate change webpage on the EPA's website. You know, I'm just throwing stuff out there. And why? Just to help, you know, help us understand why you're doing that. You don't have to be accusational. Just help us get some answers. Well, I think
0: uh, I want to have a future conversation, maybe after a few months of the Trump administration, but this whole notion of a post-factual universe and what it means for a journalist, which in theory that your role and responsibility is to get down to the truth and if you have a sizable portion of the population – who simply doesn't care that they're getting the truth, what does that mean to be a journalist? So, I mean, I, that's a bigger conversation. That's a bigger conversation. Also, I
2: think I just used the word accusational. I'm not sure that's a word. <laughs> I want to go, okay. go on the record disavowing it.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, uh, you Officially noted. And so I, I didn't want this to be a long piece, just I just want you to kind of get on, especially to give some advice to some listeners out there who are curious on how to do some of these things. But I, I'm curious, like with the situation in Florida, like you just said that the, the governor never really came out and sort of acknowledged this in a you know, substantial way. And I see a potential silver lining, like in the state of Florida, all the stuff that's going on at the local government level on this state is not stop doing adaptation planning and all sorts of climate change work. And that's going to happen all over the country, no matter what Trump does, at least for the short term with the EPA. And so that to me, you know, it's not the What is it the police state yet where they 're stopping everybody from doing it
2: right they can 't they can't and the the municipalities who are on the front lines of you know making sure that a sea level rise doesn 't flood their streets and that um you know and and, and, and planning for raising roadbeds et cetera et cetera. They're on the front lines of facing this problem. It would be a huge help if the federal government was on board and and had it had been on board, and they they could sort of bypass um, rogue states like Florida. But now, if you don't have cooperation from state agencies or federal agencies, there's a greater onus on the municipalities to deal with this alone. Well, the universities will still be working on it,
0: the city governments, and um. I mean, again, it's not the best situation, but people will continue to work. And so, Tristan, I I guess on a final note, I I think, you know, I think you're always looking for a great story out there. And I wonder, because you had mentioned that the governor hasn't acknowledged this, that I wonder if the people in the Trump administration would look to Florida as a model on how to kind of keep the lid on doing climate change work. And if there is any interactions or there there might be interactions in the future between Trump administration people and the state of Florida on how to do these things. And that, to me, if somehow that got out, that would be a great story. So I don't know ways to look for those kind of things.
2: That's a great idea. <laughs> I, you know, Governor Rick Scott is a Trump supporter. He was his uh, campaign chairman uh, or, or treasurer, uh, at least for Florida. Yeah, I'm. I wonder about that. I guess, thanks for the assignment, I'll get to work. <laughs> well, and especially if there's any Florida State employees
0: or EPA employees listening, you, you get wind of those, oh, well how'd they do it in Florida?
2: Um, that, so, that I don't have my, I don't have my, uh, uh, encrypted, uh, link set up yet, but you can always reach me at tris.corton at gmail.com trist.corton at gmail.com i'd be interested to hear from you and i will do everything in my power to protect anonymity and identifying details etc
0: yeah and if you want another layer if you don't want to go directly like with your name or something and you want to go with me and then i forward on to tristan whatever works because yeah if if you have some information let we want to encourage that and again i i like i've been saying i don't want to encourage anybody doing anything i guess illegal but they they are People are going to have to stick their necks out, as you noted in the previous podcast, you know, and that's, we're, we're, as public servants, I hope you look at the broader public good, so. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts before, I mean, just quick, you know, come on. <laughs> we could probably do this once a week, sort of an update, like, oh, okay, what's going on, but yeah. uh, any final thoughts?
2: No, you know, don't, don't, uh, succumb to the craziness, uh, um, and just steady, steady as she goes, you know? For the reporters, just get our, get the details for us. We're dying to find out. And for the public employees who are of a mind, yeah, reach out to us. It, you're, you're doing a public good. Uh, thanks again, Tristan. Thank you. Good luck. This country is safe again, Superman, thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night.
0: Yes, hopefully we'll remember that we're all on the same team. I love Andy's message that everyone can play a role when it comes to climate change. It's that big of issue. So thanks again for joining in this week. Thanks to Andy Revkin, an amazing episode. Thanks to Tristan Corden for coming in. Don't forget that you can contact Tristan. I'll have that information on my show notes. Visit the website at americadaps.org or subscribe on iTunes or on the Android apps that you use. So next week, again, I have a very special guest I don't want to reveal right now, but it's it's very timely to what's going on. And don't forget to join the Facebook page and the community group page. And I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Thanks again. This is America Daps, the climate change podcast.